Welcome to No Apology with the Bible Idiots. It's Wednesday. It's our midweek long-form teaching. And this week we have a special guest speaker. In fact, he was the guest speaker for me when I was on vacation at Lifehouse Church a few weeks ago. It's one of our board members. He's the vice chairman of the congregation. He's also in charge of the prayer ministry. His name is Bill Howe, and God gave him an awesome message we want to share with you. It's called The Healing Power of Thankfulness. We hope that you enjoy it on the Midweek Wednesday, No Apology with the Bible Idiots podcast. Here's Bill Howe. Good morning again. Thank you for being here. As I mentioned, uh, Chris and Emily are out of town. They're on their way back. So we're praying for safe travel mercies, and we're looking forward to seeing them again shortly. Um, Thank you for allowing me. It's a privilege. It's an honor to be here and share Christ with you. And so thank you for allowing me. Um, I know some of you are probably going, well, I didn't get a vote. Well, welcome to 2021, right? Things don't always go the way you want them to. But I'm going to be talking about thankfulness this morning. And each of you in your bulletin has a copy of uh, a Friday night prayer. Uh, This is something that I used to do a couple decades ago at the church I was at. And this was something that I wrote on thankfulness. And I want to just share the first paragraph with you this morning. This meditation is a little different than the ones I've written in the past. In all the others, I have shared with you things I have tried on, pressed into, found to be true and helpful. Tonight, I share with you something new, something I intend to pursue. Am I on track with this one? I don't know yet, but maybe we can pursue it together. That was Friday, November 19th, 2004, that I wrote that. Well, I did press in, and I did pursue, and I did practice. And over the last 17 years of doing that, I have discovered the healing power of thankfulness. And so what I want to do this morning is share an updated version of thankfulness, kind of a a thankfulness 2.0. A lot's happened in the last 17 years as I've sought after this thankfulness, and that's what I want to share with you this morning. Let's pray before we get started. Heavenly Father... Oh, we are thankful, Lord God, but we we desire and long for a deep, genuine, godly thankfulness that permeates our being, that informs us, that guides us, that heals us, Lord God. My prayer this morning now is that you get me out of this, you take me away, and just let your words speak and settle in hearts today. You know what needs to be heard, and I pray that you will cause it to happen, and pray this in Jesus' holy name. Amen. Uh, Let me start with uh, Scripture verse Hebrews 5, 13 through 14. Anyone who lives on milk, being still an infant, is not acquainted with the teaching about righteousness. And what that means is those are the folks that are kind of the Sunday folks. They believe, but there's no real passion and push and pursuit, and uh, milk's okay, right? You can get by on milk that, that way, but solid food is for the mature, who by constant use, and other versions say practice, have trained themselves to distinguish good 
from evil. The deep revelation of Scripture, the solid food, is for those who need it, right? If you're just comfortable staying in your comfort zone, drinking the milk, that's okay. But the solid food, the deep revelation, that's meant for those who need it. Because if it doesn't open up, if his word does not open up and encourage and teach and build and strengthen, we're hosed because we can't do it without him. So I want to define my terms before I get into this. My definition of godly thankfulness is this. Godly thankfulness is the response of our souls to the goodness of God. Godly thankfulness is a response. It's not something we generate, but we perceive and know the goodness of God and our souls respond with this godly thankfulness. Godly thankfulness cannot be found in things of this world. Godly thankfulness is eternal. It is a thankfulness for Christ himself, not what he can do for us. Thankfulness in stuff only lasts as long as the stuff does. Or it loses its luster and its shine, and now we want more stuff, right? But the question is, what do we do for thankfulness if it's in stuff when our stuff is taken away? Then what are we thankful for? We cannot live out godly thankfulness when our thankfulness is based on circumstances and situations in comparison with others. Godly thankfulness doesn't look at stuff, right? It never compares. A friend of mine that I walked with for about 20 years before we moved here, we met for lunch every, every Tuesday. And one day he was just complaining about things. And so I, he went on for a while, and I said, I said man, what's going on? What's, what's happening in your heart? Where's all this complaining come from? And I challenged him and pushed back a little bit, and he repented. And he said, wow, that's right. I'm so sorry. Man, I have so much to be thankful for. I have so much stuff. And think of all those poor people out there that don't have anything. And I said, dude, don't do that. Stop it. Don't get your thankfulness out of comparing what you have to somebody else. Because what are you going to do when your stuff is taken away? In godly thankfulness, all outcomes are left up to God. All outcomes are left up to God. Worrying about the outcome once we give our petition to him steals our joy. It makes godly thankfulness impossible. Removing the burden of outcome and giving that to God removes our worry. It lifts us, lifts it from us. Matthew 6, 25, 27. Therefore I tell you, do not worry about your life, what you will eat or drink, or about your body, what you will wear. Is not life more important than food, and the body more important than clothes? Look at the birds of the air. They do not sow or reap or store away in barns, and yet your heavenly Father feeds them. 
Are you not much more valuable than they? Who of you, by worrying, can add a single hour to your life? When we experience in real time the surrender of all outcomes to God, how could our response be anything other than, thank you, Father? So to conclude the introduction, I would say godly thankfulness is the response of our souls to the goodness of God. Godly thankfulness cannot be found in the things of the world. Godly thankfulness grows naturally in those who have surrendered all outcomes into his hands. If you do take notes, there is a, uh, a sheet in the bulletin that you can take notes, and uh, we'll get to point number one. You can only get to true godly thankfulness through his living word. It is the word of God that leads us into an intimate relationship with Jesus. Without this relationship with Christ, godly thanksgiving is impossible. It is not about trying to manufacture a feeling. True godly thankfulness is a response to the perceived goodness of God in the moment we are in. Godly thankfulness is a response in the moment we're in, right now, to the perceived goodness of God. We recognize it and we respond. It is all about a real-time relationship with Jesus Christ. Thankful in the moment we're in, regardless of situations. I am thankful now. I am thankful now. I am thankful now, and sorry, Jason, I probably just walked right out of the shot. I apologize. <laughs> but it's this real-time relationship. So what does Jesus' word teach us about our relationship with our Father? Luke. And I'm going to do these a little out of order. I want to read the first I want to read is Luke 11, 11 through 13. And then I'm going to go back and read Luke 11, 9 through 10. But Luke 11, 11 through 13. Now, those of you who are parents and grandparents, this is going to have an impact on you, uh, maybe more so than those who don't have kids. Because when God creates us as, as parents, he puts in us a provide and protect thing that it just it rises up. We have to provide and protect so when you listen to this as a, a father or a mother who has a daughter or a son, imagine you doing this to your kid. Feel it. Luke 11, 11 through 13. Which of you fathers, if your son asks for a fish, will give him a snake instead? Or if he asks for an egg, will give him a scorpion if you then, though you are evil, know how to give good gifts to your children, how much more will your Father in heaven give the Holy Spirit? 
to those who ask, how much more? In our brokenness, we know how to give good gifts to our children. How much more will our good God give us good gifts? So now listen, Luke 11, 9 through 10. So I say to you, ask, and it will be given to you. Seek, and you will find. Knock, and the door will be opened to you. For everyone who asks receives. He who seeks finds. And to him who knocks, the door will be opened. And this is the reality of our existence, right? Every second of every day, this is our reality. We have a God who is listening and will answer our prayers. Wow. Wow. His ways are not our ways. And if we don't study scripture, if we don't get into it and dig into it, we're going to get lost. Just because something seems good doesn't mean that it lines up with scripture. And we can waste so much time on stuff that seems good. And our good always gets in the way of God's best. Let him have it, and he takes us to the best. We try and do it on our own, we'll fail and fall short. And the other thing is most of our seems good stuff is all the stuff that we try to accomplish in our own power, right? Well, this seems good. I think I'm going to go. I'm, God, help me do this. I think God sometimes says, yeah, I'm here when you're done. Come on back, and I'll lead you to what you want. Listen to this. Isaiah 55, 8 through 11. For my thoughts are not your thoughts. Neither are your ways my ways, declares the Lord. As the heavens are higher than the earth, so are my ways higher than your ways, and my thoughts than your thoughts. As the rain and the snow come down from heaven and do not return to it without watering the earth and making it bud and flourish so that it yields seed for the sower and bread for the eater, so is my word that goes out from my mouth. It will not return to me empty, but will accomplish what I desire and achieve the purpose for which I sent it. Jesus is the way, the truth, and the life. And one thing about his way about Jesus being the way that we don't often think about is that means we have to do it his way. Okay? He is the way. He's the only way to, to the Father. We have to go through Christ. But it also means that we have to do it his way. Our ways don't work. His way is to not go after the gift, but go after the giver of the gift. Let me give you an example. Let's look at 1 Corinthians 13, 4 through 7. You're all familiar with this. Chapter 13 is the love chapter. And uh, this is just a little segment out of there. Listen. Love is patient. Love is kind. It does not envy. It does not boast. It is not proud. It is not rude. It is not self-seeking. It is not easily angered. It keeps no records of wrongs. Love does not delight in evil, but rejoices with the truth. It always protects, always trusts, always hopes, 
always perseveres. And then verse 8 starts with, love never fails. That, I thought, for most of my Christian walk, and I was told that's the definition of love. You want to know what love is? Look at chapter 13. It's the definition. No, it's not. That is not the definition of love. That is an incomplete list of some of the attributes of love. The definition of love is God. God is love. And this explains some of those attributes of godly love. But it's not the definition. And what happens is, when we think it's the definition of love, we look at it and we go, okay, love is patient. Whew, wow, that's something I've got to work on. I've got to work on being more patient. Doesn't that seem good? And so what I do is I make patience my target. Now that's my goal. Okay. And I work and I go and I try and I ask God to help me be more patient. And I fail. And I get discouraged. So is it me? Is it God? What's going on? No. We can't set those goals apart from Christ. If you want patience, if you long for patience, pursue Christ, not patient. We must go after the giver of the gift, not the gift. His way is that we read his word, we meditate upon his word, we carry his word with us through the day in our hearts and minds, we ingest his word. We memorize his word. We live out his word in obedience. And it is only when we are all in that we truly find out that he is all we need. It's only when all our chips are pushed in that we discover, oh my God, you are all I need. As long as I'm holding back some chips, as long as I'm playing it safe, I hope God is all I need. I don't know it because I'm still protecting myself. But when you go all in, you will find out that God is everything you need at every moment. Romans 8, 31, 32. What then shall we say in response to this? If God is for us, who can be against us? He who did not spare his own son, but gave him up for all of us, how will he not also, along with him, graciously give us all things? Apart from the solid food of the living word of God leading us into an ever-deepening relationship with Jesus Christ, we're not going to be able to experience the wonder of godly thankfulness, the healing power of godly thankfulness. Number two, the process is the point. The path is the point. The walk is the point. The reality of our existence is that we are children of God. We are rightful heirs. We are legal heirs through Jesus Christ of God the Father. He's our Father, we are his children, and guess what? Every one of us here is heading home. Every one of us who claims Jesus Christ as Lord and Savior is on their way home right now. And we are being transported 
through space-time in these contaminated bags of water, and the call upon our life is to steward this vehicle along the way, right? That's our purpose. That's why we're here, so that as we head home to the glory of God, we steward these vessels that he's given us to get us home. Steward them in his name, by the power of his name, to the glory of his name. Romans 12, 1 through 3. I urge you, therefore, brothers, in view of God's mercy, to offer your bodies as a living sacrifice, holy and pleasing to God, which is your spiritual worship. Do not be conformed any longer to the pattern of this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your minds. Then you will be able to test and approve God's will, his good, pleasing, and perfect will. Now, talking about the pattern of the world, that's like there's enough there for a whole series, but the one point I want to take out of the pattern of the world, and the pattern of the world is how we all learned to live in this world because all of us were sinners before we were saints. We all learned how the world does it, and, that's, and then we became born again, and we still got all this junk that we learn swishing around in us, and we've got to learn to separate that, see the truth, and follow the truth. One of the patterns of this world is goals, right? The world. What, are, what does the world do? You set goals. And you achieve goals. And you, you want to arrive at this place that you set out. You want to attain the things that you go for. You want to get her done. Well, if we desire a truly thankful heart, our goal must not be thankfulness. His ways are not our ways. Don't go after the gift. Our goal, our goal, is to be aware of and involved with the process of sanctification in the moment we are in. Of everything since I wrote this as a younger man, and I'm 68 now, and of all the wisdom that I've gained over the, the years, this is the one thing I wish somebody would have told me when I was younger. But all I got was, you got to do this, you got to do this, you got to work at this, you got to achieve this. And I spent all those time on different goals when the answer was right here. No, just learn to be aware of God in the moment you're in. Those goals will happen, right? If I am with Christ in the moment I'm in and thankful, he'll get me where I need to go. I wasted so much time. And I tell you what, Scripture says that hope deferred sickens the soul. Hope that's out there and it stays continually out there and it never shows up, it makes us heart sick. But our goal isn't far off. Our goal is not unattainable. Our goal is not this crazy thing. Our goal sits right in front of us every second of every day with every breath we take. The question is, will I glorify God in this moment or not? With my thoughts, with my choices, with my feelings, with my actions. Our hearts aren't sick when we experience the love of Christ in the moment we're in. Our goal is not only not far off, it's 
eternally present. And we, by our physical nature, are goal-orientated. That's the pattern that we learned. But it is folly to chase a thing when we are called to pursue and follow a person. It is a walk, and the walk out is the point. The process of sanctification is the point of our lives. For God to be glorified in the moment I am in. Do not be conformed any longer to the pattern of this world, but be ye transformed by the renewing of your mind. Right? This is not cram more knowledge in, read more books, listen to more sermons, just pack it until somehow it just tips at some point. That's not what we're talking about. What we're talking about is an epiphany where you see it differently, all right? It's not cramming knowledge, but it's going, oh, my God. Oh, my God. <laughs> this is just about the moment I'm in. It's about a relationship with you. It's about receiving your love. Oh, my God. It's different than I thought it was. That's the renewing of our minds. It's seeing that truth. I know that it sounds kind of hard and scary, but my experience over the last half century, wow. When I wrote that, I, I was, it was 47 years and I, since I accepted Christ, and so I said, man, that's almost half a century. Are you kidding me? Whew. Sounds kind of hard and scary, but my experience over the last half century taught me Man, I feel old. <laughs> but what I've learned, what I've learned, I, my dear friend back in Kansas City, we have a saying, old is good, right? Old, old is good, trust me. <laughs> it's a good thing to find peace. Um, it sounds hard and scary, but what I've learned is that God leads us by placing a desire in us for more of him. And as we long for more of him, our interests in those things that we don't want in our lives, it begins to wane. And we lose interest. And we don't want those things in our lives anymore. His burden is light. The junk that has to come out, it's not like he comes in and rips it out. It's gentle. It's a seeking of him. And they fall away behind us. He places godly desires in my heart so that I will pray for them and go after them, and then he leads me into his answers. The process itself is amazing, encouraging, and uplifting. Don't be afraid. The process is the point. That's why we're here. And number three, the biggest obstacle to thankfulness is complaining. Um, in, in this, I, I went off what somebody else said, and he said the, the enemy of thankfulness is entitlement. And entitlement, yes, that's where complaining comes from, that what about me, I deserve. But if you want to live out thankfulness in the moment, number one enemy, complaining. Complaining. 
Complaining and thankfulness are mutually exclusive. They can't exist together because both are core issues. If I am godly thankful, it is emanating from within me. If I am complaining and being a jerk, that's in there too, right? They are mutually exclusive. One of the great lessons I learned uh, was in uh, my bipolar. And I was, I was diagnosed in my, I think, mid, late 20s, something like that. I had lived it up till then, but I knew what it was now. And so for 10 years, um, and, I, and I didn't go the medication route. My mother was um, schizophrenic, and I saw her in and out of hospitals and heavily drugged. And I go, I'm not doing that. So, okay, God, you and I, we'll, we'll figure this out together. So for 10 years, I prayed, will you please take this away? Will you please take this away? And if you know about bipolar, I cycled about four times a year. So I would pray this, and I would get on a high. Praise God, hallelujah, I am healed. He's taken it from me. Only to crash and burn again and again and again. And after 10 years, you may call it an epiphany, a revelation. I call it a duh moment. And it was this. I went, duh, you're not taking it away. You're not going to take this away. So God, what do you want? And I listened. And what I heard was, ask a different question. And so I asked a different question. And I said, how do I glorify you in this disease? How do you get glory in this disease in my life? And what I discovered year after year after year after year of seeking is that in my weakness, his love and power is perfected. Praise God. 2 Corinthians 12, 7 through 10. To keep me from becoming conceited because of these surpassingly great revelations, there was given to me a thorn in my flesh, a messenger of Satan to torment me. Three times I pleaded with the Lord to take it away from me, but he said to me, my grace is sufficient for you. For my power is made perfect in weakness. Therefore, I will boast all the more gladly about my weaknesses so that Christ's power may rest on me. That is why, for Christ's sake, I delight in weaknesses and insults and hardships and persecutions and difficulties. For when I'm weak, that's when I'm strong. How blessed am I that every three months I'm reminded just how hard life can be for so many people. I've experienced so much healing in my life, but it's, I hit that down again, and I've got to struggle. I've got to work. But it reminds me how much people hurt. How blessed am I 
that he has shown me how to make room in my heart for your pain when I'm feeling my pain. Often when that pain is intense, we don't have room for other people's pain. Our pain fills our screen, but he's brought me to a place where I have room. It's okay. God has this covered. I can take on some of your pain and walk with you. I prayed, take it away. And his reply was, I'm going to use it to bless you and others. We are all called by God to bring our petitions to him in thanksgiving. But nowhere does it say that we are required or it doesn't suggest that we should counsel God on how we should answer the prayer, right? We bring him the prayer. He's not saying, you don't have to tell me what to do here. We pray, we bring our petitions, and we leave the outcome to him. We bring the problem and allow him to diagnose the solution. We all know that Christ is the great physician, right? He can heal, but we won't let him be the great, great diagnostician. Here's the problem. Here's what I want you to do. Here's how I want you to fix this, Lord. Let him diagnose the problem. Many of you know that when my son, Billy, who's now 37, I forget to tell that sometimes, uh, he was uh, six months old and he was in the hospital and they didn't know what was wrong with him. And so they were trying all these different meds, and they couldn't figure out what was going on, and his heart stopped, and they got it going again. And then they said, we're sending him to Children's Mercy. We don't know what's happening. And then we get over to Children's Mercy, and they said, we don't think he's going to live through the night. And I've related that before about the prayers that we offered up. But here's, here's what I want you to see today, okay? It was a diagnosis, a correct diagnosis that saved his life. They were trying all these drugs. Great human wisdom. This drug, it could be that, it could be that. Try this, this, this. You know what he was responding to? He had von Gerke's glycogen storage disease and he can't store energy. What he's responding to was the D50, the sugar solution that they were giving him the drugs in to do it intravenously. It was when they said, Ah, this is the real problem that they were able to bring healing. Let Christ be the great diagnostician, right? Bring him the petitions and let him have it. Trust him. His answer is going to be, follow me. And along this path, this process of life, as we seek him little by little, our attitudes gradually transform into something new. Philippians 2, 1 through 5. If you have any encouragement from being united with Christ, if any comfort from his love, if any fellowship with the Spirit, if any tenderness and compassion, then make my joy complete by being like-minded, having the same love, being one in spirit and purpose. Do nothing out of selfish ambition or vain conceit, but in humility, consider others better than ourselves. Each of you should look not only to your own interests, but also to the interests of others. Your attitude should be the same as that of Christ Jesus. Attitude. Our attitude. What is attitude? 
every second of every day, we, excuse me, we have an attitude. It could be an attitude of gratefulness, an attitude of trust. It could be a tood, like the kids get, you know? But it's always part of us. Attitude, Webster says, attitude is manner, disposition, feeling, position, etc., with regard to a person or thing, tendency or orientation, especially of the mind. The point of attitude is that it's always, always present, and we are called to have the same attitude as Jesus Christ. It ain't just about church on Sunday. It's about living our life for his glory. Now, the second part of attitude I like even better because another definition, it has to do with the attitude of a plane, if you're familiar with that. You know, are the wings level? Is it going up and down, left or right? It's called the attitude. And the attitude of a plane is in relation to its surroundings. If there is no ground, are you level or not? You don't know. There's no ground. Are you going up or down? You're lost. But attitude is in relationship to what's around. So our attitude is in relationship to Christ and God in our lives. Now, in closing, uh, I called this the healing power of thanksgiving and the healing power of thankfulness. And I, I hope you can see how it can be healing. Um, but I just want to share one quick story with you. And um, there are situations in my life, in a decision I made about three months ago, as God was calling me into something, and it was so clear that he was calling me to do it, but I looked at it, and I said, okay, God, you know me, I know me. I'm too selfish. I can't pull this off. I can't do this. But it was clear he was saying, do it. So I've walked with him long enough to know that if I can't do it, that means he's going to show up. And he will do it. So I said, I'm in. And this was my prayer. I said, Lord God, 68 years, good run. I want you to take me, and I want you to pour me out. Pour me out for this purpose. Now, I don't want to leave you with the idea, just be thankful, and it's happy, happy, joy, joy all the time. No. There is still room for godly sorrow and pain as we seek God. And about a week ago, it was so much that I was walking, and I, I walked into the living room, and I just started sobbing. <laughs> I started sobbing, and I, I was kind of down like this, and I was crying, and I... I got down on my knees, and all I could get out was, I have nothing left. I'm empty. And I sobbed. And when it stopped, I saw that picture of me wanting to be emptied, to have nothing left, to be poured out. And he answered my prayer. And he did it. And guess what? He is enough. 
Give him everything. Put all in. Don't worry. When you get there, when you're empty, when you run out, when there's nothing left, he is enough. And so I took a breath, and I said, thank you. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, oh, you know, you know, you are the great Father. You know how much we hurt. You long, oh my God, you long to give us good gifts, Father. I just pray that you would give us the strength and the courage to let you diagnose our condition. Holy God, move in us in such a way that it draws us closer and closer and closer and closer to you so that we will be people of your promise, people in a world today that is complaining about everything. May we be a people that will shine like a brightening light, bright light in the middle of all of this darkness saying, thank you, thank you, thank you. Praise God Almighty. Amen. Thanks for tuning in to our Sunday message. To donate, request prayer, or to contact Pastor Chris, you can write to Lifehouse Church at P.O. Box 661, Abilene, Kansas, 67410, or go online at lifehouse-church.com. On behalf of the entire congregation, thanks again for your support.